0: you're listening to the Avenue Church podcast. Our desire is that this message will inspire you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. For more info and to connect with us, visit us online at theavenuechurch.com. Thanks for listening. And so we're going to go through the book of Malachi. If you're new to the avenue, we bring our sermons to you in series and and we package them and and we talk about it. This one's called Welcome Home. But what it's about is really a verse-by-verse study through the book of Malachi. And you're going to go through that if you'd like to read along with me. It takes about 15 minutes to read the book. The book's very, very important in the life of, of God's people. It's the last book written in the Old Covenant. It's the last book written before Jesus Christ. comes at Christmas. And so it's an important book. Last words are always very, very important. And so as God is preparing to be silent, for 400 years. As God is preparing, he is speaking to his people in the old covenant and he's saying, this is what you need to do before I do a new thing. This is where you need to be and this is what you need to continue doing because I'm about to bring a new covenant and and that's an exciting thing. So when you read the book of Malachi, you're going to see that. You're going to see he's talking to the children of Israel. Now, the children of Israel is what we would call the church. They're God's anointed. They're God's priesthood. They're the people who have decided to follow God. And so when he talks to Israel, we can see that as he's talking to his people. So as we read through the book of Malachi, he's talking to the church. There are lessons for us to pick up. There are lessons for us to learn. The people he is writing to have moved back into, they were exiled in 586, and they've moved back into the promised land. They've moved back into the promised land. They've rebuilt the temple. They're doing sacrifices again. They are expecting God to show up in a powerful way. They're expecting, because they've gone back to the promised land, that God's going to throw off the nations around them, that God's going to bring a king to the throne, and then they're going to live in their heyday with God in charge of Israel and them being the mighty power in their world. Well, that's not happening. So here they are, they're back, they're going through the motions of religion, they're doing the things they're supposed to do, but God's not showing up. I think it is an incredible word for those of us today in the church. Last week, we talked about people walking away from the faith. We talked about people who say there may be a God, but he's not a personal God. We're talking to people who feel like God has failed them. The children of Israel, this is exactly how they fail. They believed that they were doing the things they needed to do, but God had failed. And because God had failed, they had started walking away. They had started not believing. They had started going through the motions. It has been a thousand years since Abraham was given this promise. For a thousand years, they've been watching their history play out. They've been watching the things happen. And you got to remember, those of you, this may be new to you. In the Old Testament the old covenant, we call it, the relationship between God and man. It was God reaching out to man, but it had a very key phrase in it. If my people will obey, then I will bless them. If my people will obey, then I will bless them. That is so important. And for A thousand years they had watched this play out. When they were obedient to God, when they kept his commands, they flourished. They did incredible. They were blessed beyond measure. But as they stopped doing the things they knew knew to do, as they stopped obeying God, they would turn to their own ways. There's a verse in the Old Testament all the way through. It says the people started doing what was right in their own eyes. And as they walked away from God and started doing what was right in their own eyes, oppression would come in, problems would come in. God would take his hand off of them and then another nation would come in and oppress them and then they'd cry out to God again. And God would say, if my people will humble themselves and pray, then I will heal their land and forgive their sins. All through the Old Testament, we see this played out over and over and over. I'm so thankful that we are part of the new covenant. I am so thankful that we are in a covenant with God that is all on his side. It is all grace, and it is all mercy, and God does not expect us. We do not have to earn the love or the blessing of God. Now, to be right with God, to see the blessings of God in our own life, though, we still are to follow his commandments. The Bible says, if you love me, you will follow my Commandments. And so we find ourselves kind of in the same situation as the children of Israel. Here they are, expecting God to show up, expecting him to do something incredible, expecting him to do a miracle, and he doesn't. And so he's writing to a man named Malachi. The name Malachi means my messenger or my angel. In fact, we named our youngest son Malachi. We adopted him, brought him in, wanted him to have a strong name, which means mine, mine, my angel. We thought that was gonna be it, but it did not turn out that way. (laughs) The book was written, it was my messenger. God is writing this book to the children of Israel. God is writing the book to a man named Malachi, and this is how it starts, a prophecy. The word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. The word of the Lord, a prophecy. Now, that word is better in the Old Testament. and It's better in the Hebrew as a burden. Malachi has been given a burden from God to speak. Malachi has been given a burden that he is going to have to share this message. He's going to have to share this truth, but it is not going to go over well. I understand a word of God that is a burden. Because there's many times in my 30 years of preaching that God has put a word on my heart that I needed to deliver that was hard truth. It was a word that was not going to go over well. It was a word that you were not going to like. It is not a word that's going to bring the crowd to the church. In fact, it's going to run people away. That's a hard truth that I have felt in my heart. Many, many preachers do not preach hard truths anymore. Because hard truths are not popular. We want a religion that caters around us to the point that says everything is okay. You're good, I'm good. I'm okay, you're okay. The gospel is not that. The gospel is you're not okay, but you can be. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is offensive. And there are hard truths in the Bible that people do not want to hear in this day and time. And so many preachers cater to the crowds by only preaching the parts of the Bible that bring a crowd. And it shouldn't surprise you. In fact, it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth, and they will turn aside to myths. Now, if you've never read that passage, does that not describe exactly what is going on today? Not only in the world, in the church. We're gathering around, and we're only picking out the parts of the Bible that we like. The only the parts of the Bible that tickle our ears. If something in the Bible doesn't agree with what I think, we throw it out. And we think that's okay. Because God is love, and God is, is mercy, and God is all those things, that he is. But God is also truth. And so we speak those hard truths and Malachi is going to bring a hard truth to the people. And as we read through it, we're going to see some of these hard truths in our own life. Malachi is about, about to drop some truth on them that they're not ready for. And so as God has left, put this burden, God being a good father starts out by saying, I have loved you, says the Lord. See, God is a good father. Before he corrects, he tries to connect. Before he corrects us, he is coming to us and saying, listen, I love you. I have loved you. He's trying to connect to our hearts before he disciplines us, before he tells us there's some things that you need to hear. Before he calls his family meeting, he's trying to say, listen, listen, I love you. And I love the fact that they answer him back the same way many of us do. Hmm how have you loved us? That's not really a question, is it? That's more of an accusation. It's kind of like your wife says, how dumb are you? That's not really a question. That's more of an accusation. And so the people of Israel are looking at God and saying, how have you loved us? It doesn't seem like you love us. It doesn't seem like you love us. You have not been there for us. You have failed us. You have not accomplished the things that we hope. You've not acted in love the way I think you should act in love. See, one thing we put on God is we think God should respond to us the way we want. God should respond in loving ways based on our definition, not his definition. We should, God should conform to what we think love is. But here's the great thing about this new covenant we are in. This is an amazing thing to realize. God loves you. He doesn't love you more when you show up at church. He doesn't love you less when you go to the bar. He doesn't love you more because you're praying. He doesn't love you less because you're cussing. All of this is an amazing thing to try to wrap our mind around it. And as my kids grew up, I began to have a deeper understanding of the love of God because I love my children. And sometimes they made choices that I did not agree with. Sometimes they made choices that I knew was going to lead to bad things in their life. It never changed my love for them. And when I began to realize that God is a better father than I am, I began to understand that even when I do stupid things, God loves me. His love never changes. His love never fails. He is going to be there for me. Maybe not in the way I expect. Maybe not in the way that I desire. And that's what the children of Israel, the children of Israel saying, okay, God, you love us. We've moved back into the land. We've rebuilt the temple. We're having sacrifices, but we are still in a mess. Our economy is in shambles. Other nations are bullying us. We are starving at times. Where are you? Why haven't you shown up? You have failed us, God. Have you loved us? And because of that, because they felt God had failed them, they started acting out. They started making choices. If God's not gonna show up for me, why should I show up for him? If God's not gonna be there for me, why should I be there for him? Why should I do the things that God has told me to do? When I call out to him, he doesn't answer. I ask him to save my marriage. It failed. I ask him to restore life to someone. I ask him to heal someone. He didn't. I asked him to bless me financially. I lost my job. God, you have failed me, so why in the world should I do what you say? Let's be honest. We've all felt this way. We've all felt like, God, do you really love us? If you love us, why? Why did this happen? Now the thing I want you to take from this message and as you read all the way through Malachi, you're going to see that God listens to us and he accepts that. But then as a good father, he says, okay, let's have a family meeting. You ever have family meetings? They're not fun, are they? Especially when you're the one the family meeting's about. Am I right? My family hated family meetings. They said I use the preacher voice in family meetings. I don't even know what that means. But family meetings, I mean, that's where the truth hits, hits, right? That's when the dad speaks into our lives. And I mean, it is not easy, right? Have you ever told your kids something along the lines of, I love you, but I'm about to take your phone away? How do your kids respond? If you've got a teenager, do they lose their mind? I mean, I've seen teenagers that will throw themselves on the ground and weep like a child. The father has got to call a family meeting. And when he calls that family meeting, it, it, he's going to drop some truthy, but he wants to remind you hey, I love you, but my dad used to say the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. This is going to hurt you more than it hurts me. <laughs> well, dad, I'm the one being punished. Give me the belt. Let me spank you if it hurts you more. But this is what God's saying He's saying, listen, I love you. And I know you doubt that. Do you know that God knows what you're thinking? Do you know God knows your heart? So many times we pretend with God and we go to God in prayer and we try to act like we're not mad at him. We try to act like we're not disappointed in him. There's a great story. Huck Finn is praying, trying to ask God to forgive him for lying because he lied to protect a slave and for the slave to continue having freedom. And he's trying to pray and ask God to forgive him, but he finally comes up with, I can't pray a lie, I don't feel bad. Do you know God knows what's in your heart? He needs you to look at Him and say, Do you love me? And then you need to get ready for the family meeting. These people got a meeting, and I want you to hear what God says all throughout the book. He sits them down and he addresses the problem head on. And he says, First of all, let me get this clear. First of all, let me explain. You're not giving. You're not giving. Now, this is a hard truth. I'd rather not start with this because you're going to think it's about money. You know, in the church. You know, I've told you before, it don't matter how much you give, my my salary stays the same. I do tell you this because they said this in Malachi. They said, son, you're not giving. Now, what does giving mean? Giving doesn't mean dropping 20 in the plate. It doesn't mean tipping. It means giving sacrificially. Why God wants us to give that first tithe, that tenth to him is so it says, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. They were bringing blind animals to sacrifice before God because they didn't trust Him to take care of them. And so they gave Him the worst. They gave Him what was left, like many of you do each and every week. You give Him what's left. That does you no good. I hate to say this, our finance people are going to be mad at me. Keep it. If it's not the first, you're not getting blessed. He wants that, so he says, hey, wait a minute. First of all, you're not giving. You're not showing you trust me by giving the firstborn, by giving the best. You're giving me what you have left over. It gets worse because, you see, giving's the easiest thing to do. He goes on, he says, you're not serving. You're not serving. You're not taking care of the needs of of the people around you. You're not serving each other you 're not taking care of each other you 're not loving each other you 're not doing the things that i 've called you to do. There are plenty of ways in our world that you need to serve he 's saying you 're not serving you 're not serving in the temple you 're not serving in the community you 're not serving me i don 't know what you think you 're doing. Many of you come week after week after week, and you don 't serve we 'll have almost a thousand kids that need people to pour into their life there 'll be four to five hundred teenagers show up. You talk about serving God. Go work in junior high. If you're in junior high, I'm not sorry. Anyway, <clears throat> you're not serving. He says, here you are questioning me, the father, my good father, do I love you? But you're not giving. You're not serving. You're not worshiping. You're not worshiping me. What is worship? Worship is giving your best to God. You're not worshiping. You're showing up. But that's not worship. You tune in online and you look through Facebook while the music's going on. And when I start saying things like give, you go back to Facebook and turn it off. You're not worshiping. You're watching some talented people sometimes sing. But you're not worshiping me because worship is with your whole heart. Worship is when you pour yourself out. Now, it's not about lifting your hands. It's not about singing. I don't sing. When I do, I make sure the mic's off because it would destroy everybody else's worship if you heard me sing. It's not about that, but it's a matter of heart. Some of you, like the children of Israel, you're just going through the motions. You don't give, you don't serve. You show up, but you don't worship. You don't pray. And good bread, good meat, good gosh, let's eat is not a prayer prayer. You know what? Prayer is communicating with God. It's speaking to God and letting him speak back to you and you don't pray. You may, when you're almost in an accident on 35, you may say, God, help me. That's not prayer. You're not praying. See, this family meeting, he's dropping hard truths on us. He's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. You want to be blessed by me. You want to see my hand at work. You want to see what I'm doing. Then you need to do your part. You need to do these things. You need to give. You need to serve. You need to worship. You need to pray. And then he says, you need to care for others. How The New Testament says it this way. You'll know they're my disciples by the way they love one another you think the world outside doesn't see the hypocrisy in the church? You think the people that the avenue is trying to reach doesn't see people who don't give, who don't serve, who don't pray, who don't worship, and just show up in church week after week, but nothing changes in your life? Do you think they see that? Of course they do. This new generation wants authenticity They want to know that it's real and the way we are living out our life, it doesn't look real. When we say care for others, but we're all over the place arguing about who's vaccinated and who's not, who's wearing a mask and who's not, the Bible says we're to care for one another. You need to find somebody that believes exactly opposite of you and love on them. Oh, I can't do that. They're not vaccinated. I mean, you laugh, but let's think about this for a minute. You're to care for one another. Does it look like we're caring for one another? Whatever your belief is, caring for one another in Christianity is supposed to go beyond political agendas. It's supposed to go on social agendas. It's supposed to go beyond equality agendas. It's supposed to go on racial agendas. All those are wiped away with the love of Jesus Christ. So has God failed? Or have we failed? We failed. Are we doing the things that we need to do to see the blessings of God? We're all blaming God for our trouble, crying out to hear from God. So he writes to all of us and it says, you want a word from the Lord? Read the word of the Lord. You want a word? Read. We pick up in this next verse and this is where it gets very hard. And if I was a lot of pastors, I'd just skip this verse. But I want you to hear what it says. He goes on and he explains, okay, now, I loved you. I know you doubt it. Let me show you how I love you. I have chosen you, even in your suffering. And I know you're suffering right now. Their economy has collapsed. Everything is going bad. They are struggling. He says, even though you're suffering, I want you to see you're blessed. And this is how he says it. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Esau. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I've hated that's a hard verse, isn't it? There's an old pastor that a lady came to him one day and said, pastor, I really have a lot of problems with the verse that says that God hated Esau. And Charles Spurgeon looked at her and said, ma'am, I have a lot of problems with the verse that says God loved Jacob. He says, you're blessed. Now we get caught up on that word hate. But Jesus uses it also and gives us some clarification of what it means. Jesus said, if you follow me, you must hate your mother and father, your wife, and your children. Now, did Jesus really mean that if you're a follower, you're to hate your family? No, what he means is in comparison in that relationship, it seems like hate. So he's telling these children of Israel, Jacob's children. He's telling them, I have chosen you. You are blessed beyond measure. I have loved you. I have loved you so much that my love for the rest of the world looks like hate. You're truly loved. Now maybe you're out there and you're wondering, well, which one am I? Am I Jacob or am I Esau? And that gets into a whole great discussion. We can have that discussion. You can ask that question, why does God love some and not love others? Why does God give mercy to some? You see, Jacob was a bad man, just like Esau. Jacob was a sinner, just like Esau. But Jacob had mercy, Esau did not. Why does that happen? I, I truly believe that God knows his children so well that he knows that Jacob and his family's heart would be turned to him while he knew that Esau would reject him. Have you ever asked your kids a question you knew the answer to? Would you like to have ice cream or go to bed? Do they have a choice? But you know, right? So are you Jacob or are you Esau? Well, let me give you a way to understand which category you fit in. Are you listening to this message today? Are you hearing it online? Are you sitting in one of the rooms? If so, God chose you. If so, God loves you. And he's just waiting for you to choose him back. You've got to choose him back. And that gives you that opportunity each and every time you hear the gospel presented. He says, I love you. If you're hearing that ever in your life, it means he's chosen you to love him back. I remember I started dating a girl. Second semester, she came in. We'd been dating about two weeks. And I knew that's the one. That's the one I'm going to be with for the rest of my life. I knew, I'd never told anybody else I'd love them. Two weeks in, I know it's early, two weeks in, I'm sitting in the car and I look at her and I say, Dawn, I love you. And she responds, pray about it two weeks and get back with me. (laughs) I chose her. Apparently she hadn't chosen me yet. Now, if you don't know her story, she did choose me and yesterday we celebrated 39 years of marriage. So it did work out. But I chose her first. Some of you have chose people that have not chose you back. Am I right? I'm sorry. Anyway, I chose her and then she chose me. God, if you're listening to this, chose you. Choose him back. Choose him back. We go on and We move on and we see that God loves us so much and he uses that language. And I want you to see, if you're listening, God is calling you. And this is what I want you to hear. Some of you today, you still feel God has failed you. I get that. You wanna see things change. But if you wanna see things change, you need to take responsibility for your own actions if you want to see things change, you need to put yourself in the same position at this family meeting. Let's make it personal. If you're disillusioned with God, if you feel God has failed, let's answer some questions. Are you giving the first tithe, the first tenth to him? Are you serving in your church? Are you serving in your community? Are you helping those in need? Are you worshiping him? Are you feeling worship deep down where he's worthy of your glory, worthy of your praise? Are you praying? Are you dialoguing with God? Are you reading his word? Because that's where you get a word from God. Are you reading the Bible? Are you caring for others? Are you pouring your life out so others can see you? Where are you this morning? If you're disillusioned with God and you want to see things change, take responsibility. Start doing these things and see if God doesn't show up. Because he's a good father. He's a good father. He wants you to hear I love you, I choose you. Now, do you choose me back? For those of you that are listening, I want you to choose God. So I want to pray over you right now. I want you to pray this simple prayer. Father God, I don't understand why you chose me and I don't understand how you love me, but I choose to believe it. I believe that you sent Jesus and he is the son of God. I believe he died for my sins and he rose again. And I want to trust you with my life as my Lord and Savior. But that is a prayer in your heart. That means you have chosen him back and a new life begins. Now, look at me. Because many in the room, you've prayed that prayer. You've moved back into the land. You've built the temple. You've done all the things that you think you're supposed to do, but God isn't blessing. I just ask you to take responsibility and do the things that he asks us to do, obey his commands, and see if he doesn't show up. Now, for those of you that prayed that prayer, we've got an incredible opportunity next week. We're calling it Life Sunday. It should be New Life Sunday, right? Because you're, you're in a new life. You're a child of God. You're no longer Esau. You're Jacob. And because you're a child of God, we want everybody to celebrate that with you, that your old life is gone and you have a new life. And in the rooms, we're going to have baptism set up. And it's going to be an exciting time where you see the gospel played out in those pools as people have given their life to Jesus. And so if that's you today... I want you to get with a connections person in the back or I want you to get online. I want you to sign up for baptism and I want you to follow God into this exciting realm for the rest of us. We're gonna follow along in Malachi and we're gonna see how much we have in common with those people. We're gonna make the corrections. We're gonna do the things so we can see the blessing of God. Thank you so much. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for joining us today. Our hope is that this message inspires you to encounter Jesus and find a better way to do life. We'd love to hear from you and get you connected on your journey. Visit theavenuechurch.com slash connect to get started. To hear the latest from us, don't forget to subscribe. See you soon.